Wow, what a great message to us in song. Thanks to all of our worship leadership. And uh, take your Bibles. I think this is going to be a rather interesting message in, in the scope of the, of the uh, scriptures we're going to look at. But I want us to begin in John chapter 3. And I have most of the scriptures. They'll be on the screen. But if you want uh, to follow along in your Bible, I encourage you to do that. We have Bibles in our pews as well if you want to... Uh, to look there, but we're going to begin uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. We're just going to do a brief series called "The Son of Man," and it comes right out of our study of Daniel. Uh, that term was Jesus's favorite title, um, but it, it comes right out of the book of Daniel. But we're going to tie it in to Palm Sunday, the crucifixion and the resurrection, and you're going to see how these two things fit together beautifully, and hopefully, it will encourage you and challenge you in your walk and give you a story to tell when you leave these walls. And so we want you excited about Jesus. And I tell you, this just thrills my heart uh, to see what the Lord does to help a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Palm Sunday, we always talk about uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And if you're familiar with Christianity, if that's your background, you kind of know that story about a week before his crucifixion. Jesus had been telling his disciples for some time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified, buried, resurrected on the third day. They still weren't, they were resisting that. They weren't quite sure about that. But all the mean, in the meanwhile, he had been healing the blind, bringing, uh, uh, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk. He was doing all of these things that the Messiah was supposed to do. He was teaching all these great sermons. And this was an age of great expectation. The people of Israel wanted their deliverer, wanted their Messiah. They were looking for the anointed one, the Christ, to come. And so they were on the lookout. And this Jesus of Nazareth kind of fit the bill. I mean, he had all of these powers. He was uh, doing all these wonderful things. And then news just swept in Jerusalem that he had resurrected a friend named Lazarus from the dead. And so that was on the headline news. (laughs) And so there was this great fervor for Jesus, and they were welcoming him into Jerusalem. And just a little while later, they were crucifying him. But uh, this, this is an age, I want you to know, of expectation. They were tired of the Roman Empire telling them what to do. They were in the grips of all of that. They were seeing thousands, not just Jesus, but thousands of people crucified regularly. They just lined the streets. You could not move in the Roman Empire without getting in trouble. And so the Israelites wanted freedom from that. They wanted the glory of God to descend once again onto the temple. It had left that wonderful glory, the very presence of God. They wanted freedom. They had been given a promise in the Old Testament of this promised land. They wanted their promised land, like God had said. So they were waiting for their deliverer. Nicodemus was a ruler. He was a, a religious guy. He had all the credentials. He, he uh, had worked his whole life to gain these kind of positions and reputation as a very spiritual, godly leader. And under the cover of darkness, he... He comes to find out more about Jesus. Now, this is earlier on in Jesus' ministry, but it was still during this time of expectation. And maybe you're a Nicodemus this morning. Maybe you're asking questions. 
That's great. Nicodemus went to the very right place, didn't he? He went right to Jesus. And so if you're asking questions, that's wonderful. Keep asking those questions, but come to Jesus and, and ask these of Jesus. And so under the cover of darkness, he comes and he says, Jesus, I want to know what's going on. Are you the promised one? And, uh, and Jesus kind of directs the conversation in a very unusual way. He says, Nicodemus, you've got all the degrees on your wall. You've got all the achievements. I know you're a teacher in Israel. You, you should know all of this stuff. You need to be born again. What? Born again. Nicodemus got stuck right there. He's thinking physically. How do I go back to my mother's womb? I mean, what do you mean being born again? I was born just right. I was born a Jew. I've got pure Jewish blood. I'm a child of Abraham. How much better can that get? I'm heir to the promises. I'm of the right bloodline. No. Jesus says, you've got a problem and I'm going to help you see it. Watch, watch his reaction in John chapter 3, verse 9. This is Nicodemus. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. He says, I've been telling you all of these spiritual, heavenly truths and you're not receiving these things. That's your problem, Nicodemus. You're hearing, but you're not hearing. You need to be born again with new ears, new eyes. There needs to be something there that can receive what we're telling you. I've told you earthly things, and you don't even believe the earthly things. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Then he makes an astounding claim. Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven... Except he who descended from heaven, who? The what? The Son of Man. Nicodemus would go, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm looking for the Son of Man to come on the clouds. I'm looking for him to come, be the Messiah. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, well, he came from heaven. The Son of Man comes and he's telling these things. He basically makes the claim right here. I'm from heaven and I can tell you heavenly things, but you can't understand them. Because you are spiritually incapacitated. You are spiritually dead. You need to be born again. And here's how I'm going to do it. So he sets Nicodemus. That's what happens when you preach a lot. Uh, when he sets Nicodemus up and he says, Nicodemus, you're looking at all the wrong things. You're looking at your degrees on the wall, your Sunday school attendance record, all of the religious things, you got all of this, but I'm telling you, I'm going to do something for you that you desperately need. And then he creates a picture here that we're going to dive into just a little bit before we take communion. Look what he says in verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. Can I pray just a moment? Father, there's not enough time. 
There's so much depth here, such richness. I pray that you would just speak Holy Spirit into our hearts. Help us see the Son of Man lifted up that we might believe and have eternal life. Help us see that the way Jesus wants us to see it. We ask in His name. Amen. It's interesting. Uh, I, I watch this happen, especially when I've gone to new places, like when I came to Westside. People are always still, and I see sometimes you struggle to know what to call me. You know, we enter, uh, you'll see me on the street, or you'll see me in church, and some of you go, Hey, preacher. Uh, I know you're from the South, and you've been there a long time. You go, Hey, preacher. Some go, Hey, Rev. Not sure. Some will go, Hey, Pastor. Love that. Some will go, Hey, David. I love my first name. Every so often, someone will say, Hey, Dr. Chauncey. You know, it's interesting what people will try and some struggle. Well, should I call him David? Is that too familiar? Uh, should I call him Reverend? He's not very Reverend. Should I call him Reverend? Um, you know, it's, and so people ask me, well, what do you, uh, it, well, it depends if I want to go in somewhere where I want them, I want to, to maybe, uh, impress, I'll say, hello, I'm Dr. Chauncey. No, I don't do that. I don't do that. But, but you know, but I have an earned doctorate. I went to school a long time to get that, but nobody here really calls me Dr. Chauncey because I don't really ask for that. That just basically says, here's a credential. Here's something you're done. Some people call me David, and I love that. That's fine. You can call me David if that's, if that's comfortable to you. Pastor's kind of a cool. I kind of like being called pastor sometimes. That's good. I don't like reverend. I'm not sure what that means, but I know I should be more reverend than I am. But pastor is kind of what I do, right? So pastor's leading and feeding, and that's kind of a, the shepherding job that God has given me. Now, what, isn't it interesting what Jesus chose to be the thing that he calls himself most. He didn't tell people to call him that, but over 80 times in the New Testament, when referring to himself, Jesus said, I am the son of God. No, he said, I'm son of man. Now, why did he use that term? That term has such significance. The first one we can dive into just a little bit is by saying he's son of man, he is fully identifying with your humanity. He's fully, absolutely human. Hebrews says he suffered in every way as we have, so he can be a faithful high priest for us. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Hebrews says he had to be made like his brethren. He had to be made like one of us. He had to share in flesh and blood like us. He is a son of man. He's a human being. But that isn't the... That isn't what popped into Nicodemus' mind when he said, Son of Man. You know what went through Nicodemus' mind? Daniel chapter 7. So why don't you turn there just for a second. Daniel chapter 7, uh, there is a vision that Daniel has. By the way, uh, I dove deep into this vision on Sunday night. I can't remember. Was that last Sunday night? Boy, the weeks just fly by to the one before. But if you have downloaded the app, you can go right to the message and watch that Sunday night's message. Isn't that cool? But anyway, but, but in Daniel chapter 7, I want you to see something because this develops the contrast and this sets the stage for today and for Easter Sunday in a beautiful way. 
Daniel chapter 7, this prophet is, is aged now and, and he's, getting, he's having a vision and a dream from God about the future. And look what he says is in his dream. Verse 2, I saw in my vision by night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the great sea represents all of humanity. And out of humanity are coming these empires. And in his dream, these empires look like just beasts, terrifying beasts. Now, if you've been with us in our study of Daniel, this is what's curious. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, has a dream. He sees the same basic four empires, but they're pictured in a statue of gold, silver, bronze, and iron, of descending weight, descending value. And at the end is a feet of clay, of iron and clay. And Jesus, the, the kingdom, comes in and topples this. But seen through the eyes of a man of God, through the eyes of God, I think, when he looks upon human empire building and all of the terrifying violence that it that it brings he sees it as beastly and 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 look what he says i saw uh four great beasts they they're, they're stirred up out of the sea by the winds of god the first one verse four looked like a lion and had eagle's wings and then as i looked its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given it and again you can look at that sermon a lot if you weren't here and, and how that represents most likely uh, the Babylonian Empire. And then the next empire would be Persia represented here as a mighty bear uh, raised up, verse 5, on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth. It's been eating up other kingdoms and Persia certainly did. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. And we know that the uh, Babylonian Empire lasted for a couple of centuries. Then the Persian Empire lasted for a couple of centuries. And then, and then here comes Alexander the Great with great speed and agility. And he's pictured in verse uh, 6 as a leopard, this beastly leopard with four wings of a bird and on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And then in verse 7, here's the fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And the horns represent rulers, and out of these rulers come the final Antichrist. And again, that's a whole other sermon, but here's why, here's why I wanted to, to put that before you. Here is humanity envisioned in all of its beastliness, all of its aggression. World War One, 15, 20 million people killed. World War Two, 50 some million people died. In the 20th century alone, hundreds of millions of people died through war and all of the famines and all that came through it. And now, just look at us now. Haven't we really evolved into such a much better world in the 21st century? We never know where the bombs are planted now. It's sad, isn't it? And, and when you look underneath the hood of humanity, you, you lift it up and you don't see what we want to see. We want to see human beings and all of their beauty and potential and, and care and 
and uh, love for one another and peace. We want people to be saintly. We want a Savior to come and help us out of this mess. But instead, we've got destroyers shooting at one another. And, and, and even this morning, we've got uh, 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 an aircraft carrier turned back towards North Korea because we've got insanity there. We've got insanity in the Mediterranean. We've got uh, bombs exploding in churches in Egypt. We've got a guy down here in South Florida who was mad about losing his job, a physical trainer, and he goes in and shoots and kills the person who fired him. And, and I just say all of this just to point out the beastliness of the human heart apart from God. And you say, well, that's all over there. It's all those bad people. I hope you can see that that beast lies within each of us. But look at the contrast. This is where Jesus, and why I think Jesus used the term Son of Man, into the sin of humanity and the rebellion against God of humanity, in comes a Savior in this vision. Look at verse 13. Here's his vision. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the what? Clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. But isn't it a beautiful thing that when Jesus comes, he is seen as a son of man. He is, he is the perfect human. Perfectly human. No beastliness in him. And perfectly divine. Son of God and Son of Man. And He comes on the clouds. He's accepted before the Ancient of Days. God the Father. And, uh, and to Him is given a kingdom. And this kingdom is not a beastly kingdom. It's a kingdom of saints. And His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And as it is interpreted later on in the chapter in verse 27, it says, And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And His kingdom, that Son of Man's kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey Him. So when He uses the term Son of Man in an time of high expectation. Everybody's looking. And when he uses that, when Nicodemus, this learned, he knew the Old Testament, learned man, Nicodemus knew what Jesus was saying. I am that Savior this world needs. I am that Messiah you want. I am the one come to bring a kingdom for my saints. And, and in Nicodemus and with Daniel, those saints represented the people of Israel. And you and I get to be a part of that kingdom in and through Christ. And so uh, this is quite a claim by Jesus. That's why in Matthew 26, right as Jesus is about to be crucified, listen to what he said to the high priest. The high priest in Matthew 26 is, is, is accusing Jesus, and they're going to crucify him. And he says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ. Tell us if you are the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. 
But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. What is your judgment? And they answered, Any man who would say that deserved death. And so the very title he embraced is the title that uh, took him to the cross. He said, I'm the Son of God and I'm the Son of Man. So Nicodemus was looking for a Savior. Our world needs a Savior, doesn't it? Our world needs rescue. You need rescue. I need rescue from the beastliness, the lack of humanity we're capable of because of our sin. So what was Jesus's, uh, what was his solution? Look back at that verse. He says, uh, the Son of Man, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, verse 14, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent, what is that about? You know, I don't presume that all of you know that story. That's a, that is a story out of the Old Testament. The people of Israel had been in captivity, and you know the story of Moses? And the ten plagues and all the people of God were let go out of Egypt and they go out into the wilderness. God's feeding them with manna and giving them water, but they start complaining. And, and in Numbers, there's a, the book of Numbers, the story is told, and I need to tell you that story so you can understand this verse. But in Numbers chapter 21, the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food or no water, and we loathe this worthless food. I like they said there's no food, and we loathe this worthless food. Have you ever had your kids tell you that? There's nothing to eat, and your pantry's stocked with all sorts of stuff. It's not there's nothing to eat. They don't like what they got, They got right? There's plenty to eat in there. It's just green. That's your problem? Just go eat it. And so... Um, Y'all treat your kids like that. I don't. But anyway, uh, they're complaining. But really, the, it was a lack of faith. It was, it was a sinful rebellion. They wanted to go back even into captivity rather than trust God in the wilderness. So God sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that, that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And so they come and they say, we're getting bitten by these snakes and all of our folks are dying. Please have God take away the serpents. And Moses went and he prayed. And the Lord said, okay, here's the deal. I'm, gonna do, I'm not going to take away the serpents. But I'm going to give you a a way to be saved from the serpents and from the poison. 
I want you to take a bronze serpent. I want you to craft a serpent, a snake, and I want you to put it up on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. When he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he set it, a serpent and he set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This said a couple of things to Nicodemus, and it needs to tell it to you. It needs to say it to me. Nicodemus based a lot of his security in the purity of his blood. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm Jewish. And Jesus is telling him by this analogy, you might be Jewish, but your blood is contaminated by the poison of sin. Sin is your big problem. It's not whether you're Jewish or Gentile. It is the sin. And it has poisoned you, and you haven't, you don't realize it, but you're spiritually dead, and eventually you'll be physically dead to join your spiritual death. And I know sometimes we will place our faith in something like that, and we'll think, well, I'm Baptist. Baptists are poisoned by sin. Americans are poisoned by sin. The same serpent has been all of us. We all need a Savior. And Jesus says, here's what we're going to do. The Son of Man, the one that you expect to come in as king and wear a crown, He's coming to wear a crown. He will come, and He is going to come on the clouds. You're going to see Him in all of His glory. He's going to come on the clouds, and He's going to come, and He's going to have a crown, and you're going to be part of His kingdom. But before the crown and before the clouds of glory, there's going to be a cross. There's got to be a cross. The Son of Man must first be what? Lifted up. Lifted up. Two things. The Son of Man was lifted up. And when He was, and when He compared Himself to a serpent, it's rather interesting, isn't it? Because John, the, John said, look, the Lamb of God. I like that picture, don't you? A, a spotless Lamb. He was. He was without sin. He was spotless. And yet when he was lifted up on the cross, God did something. He willingly received upon himself the wrath of our sin. He took upon himself. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. For our sake, he made him to be sin. God the Father made Jesus to be what? Sin. He, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He was a spotless lamb, but he took all of our sin. He was the beast. He did that so that in him we might become the what? The righteousness of God. like beauty and the beast he took my beastliness and gave me his beauty that's not a very fair trade that's why it's grace that's why it's mercy 
And he's looking at Nicodemus and he says, Nicodemus, as far as the world is concerned, you're beautiful. You're recognized, you're powerful, you're Jewish. You've got, the, you've got all the paperwork. But you're not. You need to be born again. And the Son of Man has come to be lifted up to become the curse. But when He becomes the curse on the cross, He actually becomes the cure. He becomes the cure. One more verse. In Galatians, the Apostle Paul says it this way. Isn't it amazing how the Bible all fits together? Daniel, John 3, Galatians 3, it's all saying the same thing. Christ redeemed or ransomed us from the what? The curse of the law. When you take the laws of God and, and you look at me through the laws of God in my life, whoa, beastliness. He's got a problem. He's not pure. And it's a curse. The, the law just shows us who we are and it curses us to death. But, and, but Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But watch verse 14. He became the cure. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the who? What's the blessing of Abraham? Oh, that's, uh, that's Jesus, and that's the kingdom, and that's sainthood, and that's being able to be in the family of God. It comes to you uh, through Christ because he became the curse on the pole so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what do we have to do? Go back to our original verse, John 3, 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son be lifted up that whoever does what? Believes in Him may have eternal life. You see what Jesus did? See what He compared? He said, picture those poor people bitten by snakes, dying, writhing in pain. Some of them, the paralysis had already left them where they were immobile. They couldn't do anything for themselves. Basically, all they could do was turn their eyes and look. And look. You say, that's too easy. I, I feel like I ought to have to climb a mountain or do something. That's because you don't understand the poison of sin. You don't understand what it's done to our world. I think maybe you do. It's turned us into beasts. It's stolen our humanity. And the Son of Man has come to return it. He became the curse to become our cure. Let's pray together. With every head bowed and eye closed, just... Just so you can focus for a moment before we take communion, have you trusted, have you looked to the cross? Have you looked to Jesus?
Have you ever truly looked with a desire and a heart to believe? You can do that with your mind's eye right now. Would you look to Jesus to save you? To deal with the poison of sin that is in every one of us. To give you forgiveness and eternal life. You say, how do I look? All, all I know to tell you, folks, is, is, what, is, is what the New Testament says. Just call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Just look to Him and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. You can pray that right where you are this morning before we take communion. Trust Christ right now in your heart. Just ask Him to save you, and He will. You'll be born again. Like Nicodemus, I believe one day Nicodemus did get born again. I look to see him in heaven, and I want to see you in heaven. If you would say, Pastor, I just prayed to receive Christ. I just asked Him to save me. Would you just... Do me the favor of raising your hand. Nobody's looking. If you just ask Jesus to save you right here in this place, raise your hand so I can see it. Anybody around? Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe you just looked. And those who look and who are saved rise up and they follow Jesus. Will you follow Jesus? If you're not following Him, I'm not sure you ever got up. You ever really looked. Father, I just pray that in this time of communion, we'll look once again with joyful eyes, but also repentant spirits as we consider the Son of Man lifted up. We remember His body broken and His blood shed. Thank you, God, for those who've trusted Christ even this very moment this morning. Now they can receive this communion wholeheartedly, truthfully, as they take it into themselves. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.